0: This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. Grass-fed beef raised on California's Central Coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com.
1: And welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch.
2: And I'm your co-host, Valerie Lomas.
1: And I say this every week, we have a cool guest, but we always have a cool guest. But uh, this week, we have ai don't know, I, I feel like I also say this every week, we always have a particularly cool guest. But this no, is somebody he's who... he's really cool. He's I agree, really I'm cool
2: signing. He's really cool.
1: This is somebody, we've been trying to get on the podcast, honestly, uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of a hard time about it now because he won't be able to... <laughs> she can't respond um we've been trying to get him on the podcast for what valerie like a year and a half two years even
2: a very long time very long as fate would have it (laughs) here we are ended up being able to book this so here we are
1: here we are so andre springer is the queen and founder of shaquanda's hot pepper sauces andre thanks for joining us oh thank you so much for having me and um yeah, sorry about the long take. I've been, I've been actually really <laughs> <laughs> wanting to be on your podcast. It, it's good. It keeps us on our toes. You know, we got to, we got to keep chasing you.
2: I know you've had such an incredibly busy season with your amazing hot sauce line. So, um, why don't we just start and you tell us about Shaquanda's hot pepper sauce and how it came to be? Because I've had the pleasure of trying it, and I have bought an absurd number of bottles. I give them as gifts. I make sure I'm stocked. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you know, your heritage and how that your Bayesian heritage and how that influenced, um, you know, your desire to actually make and sell these pepper sauces.
3: So my, yeah, so as you said, my family's from um, Barbados and uh, I grew up here in New York City. My family is like really into cooking. So like everything that we eat always like came with pepper sauce. So whether it was like homemade or if it was like a popular brand that was used in the islands that family members would kind of like smuggle over in their bags then we would use that. And it's just been like a huge part of my food identity. I didn't um, think that I was gonna be a hot sauce creator. I, you know, was a performer or am still a performer slash artist. And, you know, just as fate would have it, like part of my performance uh, one year in 2014 included um, some hot sauce that I had made as a collaboration with my business partner, Dominic Mondavi, and we decided that our next iteration of kind of graphic um, work would be in this form. And I really wanted to do a self-portrait of myself. And so combining all these different aspects of my life, which was, um, art performance and food, you know, I've worked also in the service industry as a, uh, as a waiter, a bartender, a maitre d a manager. So I've always been, I've always pretty much been around food and incorporating these different sides of my life to create something that authentically spoke, to who I am and who I wanted to present as part of this performance piece. And so with my shopping cart in my drag, like in Bushwick in 2014, uh, sampling sauces on crackers and plantain chips was my way of activating the space. And when folks would ask me when I was performing, I would say like right here, right now. And I would give them a dab of sauce on the cracker or a plantain chip and You know, and then the performance began because hot sauce is like goes in and then it burns and then it cools down. And and just like any other performance, there's an arc or sort of a story and then it's done. And people were so excited about it. They were trying to buy it from me and I did not have the intention of selling it. It was like, this is part of my outfit. I'm not going to sell you part of my outfit. And I decided (laughs) (laughs) that um, that I would. And I had a bunch of bottles in the shopping cart and my friends and I like were just running around Bushwick, you know, they were all screaming hot sauce for sale. And <laughs> if, and then from there, that's how, that's how it all began.
2: Okay. And I mean, so your, your line of sauces is called Shaquanda's hot pepper sauce. For people who aren't familiar, who, tell us about Shaquanda.
3: So Shaquanda was my, my drag, um, is my drag alter ego that I started back in 2000 and I want to say 2004 yes 2004 um Shaquanda is an extension of myself and it's a celebration of my sisters my aunties my cousins and all the femme queens that I grew up with and you know when deciding a drag name I decided that I wanted something to really represent like where I'm from which is bed and I wanted to you know, to give that and to keep that and to own that. And I wanted to express like for the many sort of facets of what Shaquanda means to me, uh, to to the audiences. And that's, and that's where she came from.
2: I love that story. And I mean, you kind of touched upon this a bit, but you know, when you spoke of your sisters and your aunties, um, but I think this, like obviously the concept of identity, right? So mm-hmm. You know, you spoke about your Bayesian heritage, and and for people who don't know, there are a lot of great you know pepper sauces that come from the islands and Barbados in particular. Um, but you know, you growing up in New York City and your black identity, um, how did Shaquanda kind of help? Like, not maybe not help you lean into that, but how how was that like a form or how how has this whole brand and the action like? the actual entrepreneurship aspect of this, um, you know, to put such a, a, a specifically black name as your brand Shaquanda, right. There's nothing, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing obscure about it. Um, has that just been mm-hmm. a way for you to kind of lean into that part of your identity?
3: I, yeah, I suppose it is like, a um, I've always been unapologetically myself and, um, Having that name and, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes around the perception of especially a lot of uh, people of color with non like Western, like white Western normative names and, you know, owning that name and being like super proud of it and being able to sort of comedically express my express myself and also be genuine and loving and all these different, you know, sides of what it means to be a person. I think also, you know, like a lot of other Black people will know the name and be like, yeah, that's my girl Shaquanda. And then for people who are, are, you know, not as familiar or have like that many Black friends or if any, will kind of look at it very stereotypically. And I think, you know, it's a bit unfortunate. And um, like leaning into it has like, for me, been such a wonderful joy because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of giving... I'm, I'm owning the name and showing people that there are you can have whatever name, even if there's apostrophes in it or hyphens, it doesn't matter. You're still a person and and like you have the right to create and do things that are exquisite and fine and still have a name with an apostrophe or a Shaquanda or an Aisha, LaQuisha, Shanifa, Halifa. However, your name is if you are yourself and you're good at what you do, then that's it. That's all that matters, and I always think that representation is super important. And you know, having such a strong black name, you know, on a shelf next to other products that are very, you know, very um, artisanal, I think is is kind of owning that space and being uh, part of that shelf and showing others, like myself, that you know, I hate to say the word others because I, uh, you know, but oftentimes we are othered. Right. Um So like people like us that are, you know, that don't see much representation, they are now a- are able to see that and be like, oh, look, here's the name of like, here's my name on a shelf. Or this is my like, cousin's name or this is my sister's name or I know Shaquanda. And like, yeah, you can be whoever whoever you are and still be held at value. And right. so that's why, yeah, Shaquanda was such an important mainstay for me to keep that name.
2: Yeah. And I love that because it's like you're also getting to control the narrative where, you know, if we look at at other brands throughout, you know, our Mm -hmm. throughout our food history, like Aunt Jemima or um, I mean, we can we can rattle off several others, but it's the question of who, you know, who is actually. The owner and who mm-hmm. is making money based off of black identity, right? Yes. Um. So I think that's so powerful that you um that you know you gave your brand a a, a very uh, in in many ways often negatively stereotyped black name, but you're also getting to control that narrative.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I find so uh, beautiful and compelling about your brand and the story around it, especially as a, a as a fellow uh, food entrepreneur, is that is that sort of identity skipping that that you know you're bouncing back and forth between these identities, and they're both true, right? They're both accurate, honest representations of things that you're bringing to the business, but but they're different, and and, and I think that's something. that's definitely something I. Uh, I feel often, and I think a lot of food entrepreneurs feel often, is that we have multiple identities. I mean, sometimes people talk about them as hats, but I think it's deeper than that, right? Like we all have multiple identities that we put on depending on who we're talking to or when or how or what we're talking about just within the in the world of a, a food business, whether you're making the product or selling the product. Um, I, I would just like to hear you talk a little more about how you decide or how you, how you construct those identities and, and when when certain ones exist or have to exist and, and when, uh, others are just when, when it's the time to, to, to <laughs> represent other identities. Does that, does that make sense? Am I? Yeah. Is this a, and, a and I'm going to help
2: Ethan out a little bit because, um, Ethan, you're touching on something really fascinating. That's often referred to in some contexts as code switching, Sure. which it, um, for people who aren't familiar with code switching, it's, you know, when you, kind of have to exist in this mainstream, you know, more white oriented part of society versus um, a, a more like subculture of society. Um, so was like black people, for example, it's common to code switch, like the way you talk, maybe when you're around other black people, you're using, you know, the black vernacular versus when you are, you know, in a room pitching your business and, It would be great, Andre, if you could kind of speak on that. And then I think Ethan was also kind of alluding to this um, even more broad concept of like, as a business owner, you are literally still like doing all of these different functions. And, you know, the the Andre who is pitching his product to um, wholesalers or or retailers or however it is that you foodpreneurs operate um, might be... A, a, a different person who is out at a market in Brooklyn selling hot sauce to people
1: mm-hmm.
2: versus, you know, when you're <laughs> making it or developing the recipes. <laughs> yeah.
3: So I kind of do feel like I have, um, a little bit of multiple personality disorder in some, bizarre. not to like, you know, <laughs> that's a serious condition, but in, in a way, it's like, um, I do feel like I am, I do have all these different um, sides of myself and different, I guess, versions of how, you know, it's all in context, like depending where you are, who you're with and how you communicate and what your intentions are, what you want to communicate. I think um, in performance where you're gauging the audience and you already have like a, a set of how you, or what you're gonna perform, so really it's kind of more about your intention of what you're trying to to put across to an audience. So I would say in performance, it's like more under your control versus like the interaction with the audience, even though there is some part of it, depending on what it is that you're trying to achieve or activate. And for business, like it's mostly for what I've been doing, especially during the pandemic, it's a lot of online communication and, it's, it's kind of funny because I used to be so so much better at writing and I just stopped caring as much. Um, and, you know, I type the way I speak and I don't, um, I'm not as much of a stickler on on certain types of, of grammar or syntax than I used to be. And uh, code switching, yes, that's a big thing. As you know, like, it's very different when a group of us Black folk are together versus you know, having a conversation in a mixed company or just, like, around, like, non, non-Black people. Um, But I guess, like, it's also, like, if you're... Like, I grew up with some white folks from New York, and I feel like there's, like, a similar kind of sway, that swagger that happens that I think... I even code switch with them, and they code... It's very bizarre. And I think that's, like, another topic that I think should be, like, discussed as a kind of, like, the... In like urban cities with different races that grew up together that kind of have like a, a similar rhythm of speaking or communicating um, outside of race, which I think would be fascinating. With drag, it's like I, I try to steer away from um, from too much of a generalization and try to just kind of hone into the most authentic part of myself that is either a memory or a familiarity that I grew up with versus like the expectation of how one is supposed to be or what the audience expects me to be. And so whether it's at a market and I'm selling sauces, you know, I get to interact with a lot of people that are not typically interacting with queer people or even as much Black folks. And so giving them the opportunity to kind of see my most authentic self and also show them that, hey, like, listen, I'm just as much as a person as you are, but I'm also funny, so you're going to have a good time regardless. And it's bringing across that humor because I do know that, you know, someone will look at me a little awkwardly, but I know my lipstick looks amazing, so and it's a great shade for my skin tone. So, you know, I might pucker up my lip a little bit and go, hey, baby. But, you know, I, I, I might do that too, not in drag, but I think it's different when you have on a wig and you're able to kind of flip your hair around. And, you know, or how you walk in a pair of pants versus a caftan or a dress. And, you know, it's just kind of owning whatever you're in and understanding how you move within what you're presenting is a very powerful thing. And doing drag for like I, I had a part in my life where I was doing drag more often and I, you know, was able to kind of like feel myself in an outfit that's typically not... um sort of male, you know, presenting and able to kind of like understand what it feels like when the wind makes my like polyester dress, like kind of flow in the back or going down the stairs wearing it and feeling really great in it. And I think the same goes to wearing a pair of like uh, overalls with boots or, you know, just feeling yourself and how confident you are and what it is that you're wearing. And and in the end of the day, it really is about like how you feel and I think, in context of groups, there is a matter of sort of safety and um, understanding, and whether or not you want something out of it. So it really does depend on what the moment calls for, essentially.
1: And do you think there's something uh, in particular about hot sauce that that works with that that uh, communication style and and the persona, or or do you think you'd be able to apply? pretty much any food and, and, uh, sort of presented similarly. I think hot sauce definitely has like, it's
3: spicy. Drag is spicy. You're kind of allowed or given permission to be a little bit more flirtatious, which, you know, I naturally am a very flirtatious person. I might say, um,
2: and yes, so, you like, do. I've witnessed it. <laughs> 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 I love so, it. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> and, and with spicy food, you're you know, you're allowed to to kind of be a bit more open because if someone's eating something spicy, what I love is seeing their reaction of how hot it gets, and they're like ooh, and then you know you're allowed to be like ooh back to them and kind of play around. And it's like it I think it really does make people open up a little bit more and kind of giggle more, or laugh more. Um, you know, all within safety, of course. And you know, spicy foods and drag put together is just I think a recipe for success.
2: Um, so Andre, how let's talk a little bit about how you went from being at a market and people like, you should sell that, like, to actually selling it because You have a background in design and more on the the artsy side of things. So like what kind of made you take like the very real plunge of like, I'm actually, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to open a business and give it, you know, a real go. So I've, I've
3: pretty much always wanted to work for myself. Like I enjoy working for other people, sure. But for the most part, like I knew that I wanted to do something where I had a bit more uh, control over and I n- didn't think that it was going to be hot sauce at first. Like I thought I was going to do something like t-shirts or like jewelry or, you know, like something not as complicated <laughs> as food uh, can be. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, a, it was a long process. And I think that thankfully I have skills in knowing how to, to make something happen. Like, I love researching things. I love um, putting uh, things together. I love understanding how it works. And so I knew that people really were, like, really onto it and really pushing me to do it and kept asking me to do it. And um, I spoke with my business partner, uh, who I went to college with, and he's like, yeah, you should really do this, and, like, we should, you know you know, put our stuff together and just make it happen. And I said, you know what, that's a, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, from concept to, to finish product took years. Like, you know, I've been officially in business for, for, this is my fourth year, but I've been doing this for like nine years now. And so I didn't want to rush, I didn't want to rush the process. And I wanted to make sure that everything I was doing was um, to the standards that I wanted to, also be like legally correct and protected. And, you know, I wanted, I, I, you know, the especially with food, it's just something that you don't want to get anyone sick. You don't want to be liable for any of that. You don't want, you know, to hurt someone. And I think coming from a place of, of love from food, like I wanted to keep continuing to give that and to give that within my product means also safety and following guidelines and having ethics around, you know, how I want to produce this, why I want to produce this, where I want to get this stuff from, you know, how does this tie into my own kind of identity and what does that mean to bring that flavor and how to express it and how do I go about finding these ingredients and where's the place that I can produce this at and then insurance and then all the lawyer stuff and then legal and trademark and it just becomes like... um it just became a long process, but I was enjoying it because I was also learning so much about um, the different sides of being a business owner and starting a business, but also starting a food business and a consumer packaged good business. And, you know, understanding about wholesale and how to price and just finding all these wonderful accelerators and free business programs on the internet. And, you know, I moved up to Harlem for a year and did the Um, There was a program at Through Columbia's Graduate um, Business School and Hot Bread Kitchen. So they offered these workshops and then a summer intensive um, certificate program. And it was free and it was through the Small Business District Association. And, you know, I learned so much about like looking at it from a business perspective instead of just like a passion project or, you know, how to make something actually make you money instead of losing money. Because in the beginning, let me tell you
2: <laughs> in <Right. I> was... <laughs> the food business, Ethan. <laughs> it's uh,
1: surprisingly difficult to make money.
2: But <laughs> so very, very, very easy to oh, lose money. Yes, I mean and like it's it's so funny hearing not funny, but it's interesting hearing you say this, Andre, because when I think about like being a foodpreneur, right? Um mm-hmm. You know, Ethan, you know, he started with ice cream. I started with macaroons and like spoilage was like the biggest concern Mm -hmm. I had. So I look at someone with like a hot sauce brand and I'm like, genius, no problems.
3: (laughs) There is, I mean, it's, yeah, shelf stable products are generally pretty because they can last on. I mean, technically my product is, not technically, it is shelf stable, which means indefinite if it's closed. Um, so like, I'm pretty lucky in that sense where I can set a Best Buy date, which I think the flavors kind of are at its peak, um, up to like three years, but it's still good for longer than that. Um, but you know, organizing or this whole supply chain for getting everything there to getting it produced, that's where things get complicated for myself, but it's actually, it's not that complicated and it is a lot. I do feel like us in the shelf stable kind of food world are, are a lot luckier than, um, you know, than YouTube when you start up Cause that is, you do have to think about like your, your shelf life and how long it takes to sell it. And, you know, it's hard kind of like now I'm able to sort of project and predict sales. And, um, that's been like kind of helpful, but like, I knew that if I made like hot sauce two years ago, I still had like You know for the peak of the flavor it's still delicious after three years but i I just knew that you know i'll have inventory but i'll still be able to sell it and i you know
2: yeah yeah. and okay so i i really want i'm excited to talk to you about predicting sales and the onslaught of business you had this past summer so Mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with more from andre
0: This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass fed, completely hormone and antibiotic free beef. The Hearst ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally. Sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches And produces a remarkable meat Whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally May through August In select whole food markets throughout California And all year round at their retail locations In San Simeon and Paso Robles And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California Can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door Through Larder Meat Company Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com.
1: And we're back with Andre Springer, uh, queen and founder of Chiquandas Hot Pepper Sauces. Um, Andre, tell us about the last year. What what has uh, the coronavirus meant for your business? It was
3: uh, mostly positive, actually, because everyone still needs to eat. And, you know, the one thing that I missed out on uh, that I was really looking forward to was this was supposed to be my big kind of marketing year where, you know, I would show up in drag and I, I was going to travel up the Northeast and do different markets and do tastings at different stores. And I got into although North, uh, the New York, New Jersey, Whole Foods. And so that was also part of what, you know, showing up at Whole Foods and dragging in these different areas and, you know, having, being able to share my sauces with people was what I was really looking forward to. But, you know, that didn't happen. And, um, I still was able to maintain sales and grow sales and, You know, I had a new sauce come out this year and it was on season 13 of Hot Ones, which was great. You know, that happened later in the end of the year. And then the New York Times, um, I was in the New York Times gift guide for my sauce and the New York Magazine as well. Uh, Like a bunch of different sites, like for their list for food, for products to buy. And also being a Black owned business and getting like a lot of support um, through different platforms on social media with influencers and, um, some celebrities. So that was like super helpful for also my retail side. Cause primarily I am a wholesale business. Like I, I wholesale to other companies and to, um, stores and supermarkets, but my retail, I still have a retail site, which I do. I do generate good sales from. And so it was really, uh, wonderful to see like the amount of support, um, to my website, And that really helped me to reinvest and, you know, to grow, like, you know, to think about scaling again.
2: Yeah, that's, um, and tell us, like, how far away are your, can people find your products? Like, uh, I recall you were saying they're distributed as far as the Netherlands?
3: Yes, so there is a place in the Netherlands that sells, um, uh their heat supply and they sell uh, one of my flavors and they ship uh, across Europe. And there is another company in Australia that also sells, um, that sells it there. And I just got tapped from a company in Hong Kong that wants to import some. So,
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's You're all worldwide. getting there.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're worldwide.
1: Um, <laughs> well, now, tell us the- about Oh, go ahead, Ethan. Well, I just wanted, I, I had no idea you had such an international presence and I'm so curious about how the drag persona reads in other countries or, or you know, places where people don't, maybe they may, just may not be aware of the, the sort of cultural context around it here and especially in New York.
3: I don't think, um, I, I do know that a lot don't know that it's drag. <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> for the drag, stay for the hot sauce. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so it's like it's a matter of them like uh doing the research or looking for me online and then they discover it or but usually the 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 people who work at the shops or the owners will, you know, be like, Oh, this is a drag queen inspired hot sauce. So I would say there is a
1: chunk of people that don't know, and I I think majority do know does it, does it change the way that you feel about it? That, that if they're not aware of it or they are like, how important is that is the understanding of the, of the brand? Uh, and how important is that to you?
3: I, I mean, I would love for them to understand and know that, especially I someone who's queer, like that's super important for me. Um, but at the same time, I, we all like discovering things or finding a story and, And like finding out more about it on our own. So there's also that too, which I I actually really like. And I'm not, you know, necessarily super, like it is important for me and my brand that people know where I'm coming from. Because, you know, I'm all about equity on the shelves, which includes my Black identity and my queer identity. Uh, And at the same time, if someone's going to buy it and they don't know, I'll take their money. So that's that, that's
2: that yeah that's like reparations right there
3: yeah.
2: um i mean and you know we haven't really touched on this and i i do want to hear about your different hot sauce flavors but mm-hmm. like i do think it is important to at least like mention um the intersectionality of being a a person of color a, bl- a black business owner and being queer and um I mean, do you have? I don't, I mean, I just think it's important to like mention that like there are a unique set of often, you know, hurdles and obstacles um, that that brings.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you have anything you want to share on that, um, but I did just want to at least mention it. I mean,
3: yeah, of course, like, you know, from, being treated like less seriously to, you know, like kind of being excluded or, or kind of, you know, it's hard because like we all have our insecurities, even as confident as anyone might be, especially when you're, you know, systematically put down or, you know, you don't see yourself represented out there. There's going to be a lot of, of, Stuff coming from yourself too, and also and especially from the other person, if they're not open minded or even civil beings, I think um I always try to keep myself very like clear minded with thanks to like you know books and therapy, but there are moments where I will have anxiety and where I'm like kind of nervous about working with someone else that's I haven't worked with before or Reaching out, there's a little bit more hesitation. I feel, especially from, you know, being black and being queer, of the fear of being, you know, excluded or rejected. Um, but at the same time, like I, I push through and I power through. And I will say that I do feel um, genuinely um, a bit lucky with, um, with my relationships and partnerships that I have now, um, because you know I found some good people to work with and some amazing partnerships that, you know, respect me and take me seriously. Um, But yeah, it's hard regardless, (laughs) because there's always that fear.
2: Right, right. Um, I I do want you to tell us about the actual hot sauces. Um, Can you just tell us about the different flavors and um, how you developed them?
3: Sure. So the original is a spin on the kind of Barbadian classic, which typically, well, not typically, the Barbadian classic should have turmeric, mustard, um, vinegar, hot peppers, onions, salt, um, and sugar. Am I forgetting? Yeah, that's the, and then you can kind of play around with it around that kind of like base. And so like, I really wanted to tell a story about the different flavors that I kind of grew up around. Like I grew up you know in new york and also with you know southern black like other caribbean folks african folks um latinos asian like you know new york city was is a melting pot and you know before my neighborhood it was much more black so you had all these different black identities and you know speaking to the, to that sauce the first sauce i wanted to do my brooklyn kind of variation and you know my grandmother was always a fan of apple cider vinegar And so that was important for me to have that in there. And some recipes do have horseradish, but particularly like horseradish, you know, as like, you know, in a Bloody Mary or thinking about brunch. You know, I wanted that in there and the funk to sort of or that kind of like thing back there, the pungentness of it. Like I wanted that in there and, you know, just testing out different. I've made so many different recipes for that original sauce to get where it was or to get where it is. And I wanted something to be a mouthfeel and to kind of hit different parts of the palate and to be spicy, but also be flavorful and to kind of tell a story as you eat it so that you can taste all these different things in it. Um, so that's the original flavor, which is you know apple cider vinegar, tomato paste, hot peppers, which is a combination. I use a combo of scotch bonnet and habaneros. And having citrus in there and demerara sugar as like, you know, the raw form, of rawest form of sugar kind of speak to the Caribbean. Uh, sea salt because, you know, of the islands and thinking of the ocean. Um, horseradish for that funk. And um, yeah. And so for that, for me, the original and onions. So the base of all my sauces are onions. So it's usually going to be the first ingredient. So it's really onions are so such a universal versatile ingredient that we cook with. And it really is a flavor of like a, a, it is flavor. And so when I think of my hot sauces, I think of them more kind of like pickled onion spreads and, you know, coming up with the other flavors, I knew that I wanted onions to be the first ingredient. I knew that I needed that as like part of my story for hot sauce and when thinking about making my umami sauce, um I was thinking of all the different ingredients that began with the letter B. So I started off with, you know, like black identity with a B, like thinking of any any kind of ingredient with a B. And, you know, I wanted to make something with fruits and so like blackberries and blueberries. And originally the the sauce that I made had black salt in it, but I found that to be a, too expensive, and <laughs> the smoke, it was kind of getting lost in the sauce. And so I removed that one, and opted to use just regular salt. And then uh, a chef friend of mine was talking to me about, oh, like black garlic. And, you know, I had, had black garlic before, but I didn't think of it. And I was like, oh, what a nice way to incorporate this wonderful um, Korean ingredient. Um, and there's, like, some American companies out here that make um black garlic that fermented here in the States and just thinking about the sexiness of it, of like, of, of all these ingredients and, you know, for the name is a play on umami and also like what the guys on the street, you know, like will holler at me. And then one particular time I was going out and these guys were hollering and going, yo ma, yo mommy, yo mommy. And as I got closer and I, I turned my head they went, Oh, Ooh, mommy. (laughs) And so (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuck with me. And so that, that sauce was kind of fun to make. And actually um, like after, it really is the first um, recipe minus the black salt that, you know, like it was like done when I made it, I was like, wow, okay, this was done. That was quick. Uh, The other ones took a little bit more time and I wanted a, for a spicier smoke to have a drag kind of gender fuck version where, you know, like for sometimes I don't want to shave and I want to still wear some lipstick. And so I was like, Hey, I'm going to wear some lipstick, but have like, you know, this is my three day look after drag. So there are times where, where I didn't want to shave so much and, you know, I would have a very stubbly face with makeup over it. And so <laughs> just being smoky and thinking of like, um, the original, but making it a bit more um, turmeric-y and like more smoke and thinking of more kind of my, like, I guess like, I don't want to say necessarily, I guess masculine side. Um, that one actually, that sauce really kind of, um, it really speaks to the the more man audience and you know the women who like their whiskey. And so, yeah <laughs> and then the green the green was my take on a green sauce, and it's also mix m x is the gender neutral or gender all inclusive uh pronoun instead of Mr. or Mrs or miss you have m x and so that was my uh homage to that and also for diversity on the shelves, and using like I wanted brightness, I was thinking something very pickly and something that would go really well with the c and with the ocean and thinking about actually eating you know, one of the dishes that we eat or um, Barbadian dishes, like boiled uh, root vegetables and bananas with hot sauce on it. So I added bananas to it and like seasoned it with a, re- We use also a lot of oregano. Um, it's usually, it's a family of oregano It's called Spanish um, broadleaf thyme, but also Spanish oregano. I think they might be the same thing. Uh, so that was also important for me to put that in there. And thyme and lemon and lime, uh, jalapenos and serranos. And that's more of a kind of a, like, it's not as hot as the other ones. In fact, most of my sauces are pretty, I think, balanced and medium spiced. Uh, this green sauce is kind of for the introduction, is an introduction to if you wanna try or start eating hot, spicier things, it's a great introduction to. And finally, like my West Indian curry is a west indian curry hot sauce like it's pretty much uh it's it's the ingredients of curry so what separates also west indian curry from indian curry is like there's more turmeric and there is allspice and a like a different kind of pepper but i mean it's almost it's almost the same but just the variation of the allspice and the the added um Turmeric and the different kind of chili species, and so that was my season thirteen hot ones uh, collaboration with them, and all these sauces you can cook with. Like I'm such a fan of using condiments as a, also as a, a way to marinate or to cook with, and you know there's so many different flavors that you can bring out when you add heat to any kind of thing, and think about it as like I'm gonna make a stew, but also you know, I'll add it as an ingredient, but I'll also put it in at the end when it's like done cooking. So how do we like, how do we like tell these stories with flavors uh, through applying it differently? And so like, that's the whole purpose of my sauce is that you can use it as a marinade, you can use it as a, a base to something. And you can also finish it with a condiment or, you know, or finish it as a condiment or pair it with other condiments.
1: I'm I'm just realizing how few of your, I thought I had tasted, anyway, I thought I knew your sauces and now I'm realizing how few of them I've actually tasted. I got to, I got to get back out and try them.
2: Andre, can you please let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can find your hot sauces?
3: So you can find me at we'll Com, And for some of you that don't know how to spell Shaquanda, that's S-H-A-Q-U-A. <laughs> N, as in Nancy, D-A, you.com. Same handle for my Instagram. And if you're in New York or New Jersey, you can find me at any Whole Foods store. And check out my site if you want to support the wonderful smaller butcher shops and gift shops and specialty shops
1: around the city that sell my sauce.
2: Um, thank you so much,
1: Andre. You can email us at yfood at heritageradionetwork.org. You can reach us on <laughs> social at why food podcast. You can find me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram.
2: And you can find me on Instagram at Foodie in New York. Thank you so much, everyone.
1: Thanks to Armin Spengen, our amazing sound engineer. Thanks Woo-hoo! to the Red Crickets for our theme song, Blind. And most, most, most of all, Andre Springer, thank you so much for joining us. Andre! A fascinating oh, conversation, as hey, hey. always. Hey. Thank you so much, Ethan and Val. Thank you.
2: All righty. See you guys next week. Bye.